Hey gang, this is your usual suspects. You got me, Spy, the other two, who are very quiet right now, because it's I'm here. earlier in the morning. <laughs> it's 9.16 and I'm not allowed to drink right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for legal reasons. <laughs> uh, well, this is a special uh, one-off episode that I have been wanting to do for a while. Uh, earlier this month, or actually earlier last month, um, I found a very a rather obscure um, tabletop gaming legend. For a handful of you, this may sound familiar, but for most of you, you've probably never heard of this. And it's the legend of Old Man Henderson. Now, some of you may have heard of the Henderson scale of plot derailment. This is that same Henderson that inspired the scale. This is going to be a long and very, very strange tale. So, grab some popcorn, settle in. It's fucking story time. And because this is an audio medium and not on YouTube, you can do other things while you are listening. I, sorry, just need to jab at YouTube for a second. <laughs> Fuck Google. Alrighty. So. Old Man Henderson. <clears throat> Let's see here. Uh, the origin of Old Man Henderson. So I'm reading off of a page from 1D4chan, and unfortunately this is taken from a less-than-savory forum, so I will avoid the less-than-savory language in this, but overall it's very amusing. Also, when was this post, like, made? Oh, oh, this was... I think, this some, was I, think some I think some meta context. I think some meta context is required. This was like ten years ago, actually ten years ago last week. Yeah, the tale of Old Man Henderson. Looks like July sixth, two thousand ten. Huh. So, and also, really quickly for people who don't know, because again, meta context is good. Call of Cthulhu is a horror TTRPG, and it's what you'd imagine it to be. It's Lovecraftian mythos, the TTRPG, and most people die. That's it. Yeah, the the goal of the game is not to, like, kill Cthulhu or anything. It's just to figure out as much as you can before you die or go insane. But no, this the old man Henderson actually won. Won Call of Cthulhu. Uh, technically, this isn't... Call of Cthulhu, this is a story about Trail of Cthulhu, which is a slightly modified version. <clears throat> so this is the origin of Old Man Henderson, told by his player, Waffle House Millionaire. <clears throat> I hate derailing this thread on accident. Who wants to hear the tale of Old Man Henderson, the character who won Call of Cthulhu? I'd like to start by saying the GM was a bastard and had it coming. Bullshit tactics to make everyone go crazy, like a D6 with only five sides. No story, no reason. Lose 10 sanity. The others continued to allow this fuckery. 
We were playing a modern-day setting, with the other players being a college professor who found a couple stray pages of a copy of the Necronomicon and wanted to find out just what the hell it was, a detective who was investigating a missing, bleh, investigating a missing, missing persons case, why is that so hard to say, uh, connected to the local cult, and a local athlete, I think it was football, trying to find out why some of his friends seemed so distant lately. And then there was old man Henderson, who was never given a first name. Oh. Old man Henderson was already a little crazy and blamed his life's misfortunes on Vietnam. He never went to Vietnam. He was 12 in 1974. <laughs> Old man Henderson wore combat boots, cargo shorts, and an open front Hawaiian shirt with a wife beater underneath. He was dyslexic, had a lesser case of schizophrenia, allowing him to assume that the reason he saw crazy shit was because he was a little bit crazy. He had a grizzly Adam's beard and wore his hair in a mohawk. He never took off his aviator shades for any reason. He had a stuffed parrot stitched to the shoulder of his shirt named Rupert that he constantly asked for advice while ignoring the other party members as convenient, assuming they were hallucinations. He had an automatic combat shotgun he knew how to use. He had also memorized the anarchist cookbook. He started the game with pre-existing hatred of religion, cutlery, and books. His motivation was that he thought the cult had stolen his lawn gnomes, while he had actually donated them to a charity auction, got high, and forgot about it. Most importantly, he had a 320-page backstory that justified everything from his casual knowledge of physics to his ability to speak Portuguese flawlessly. You can imagine the sort of shenanigans the character was involved in. The point to having such a long backstory was threefold. One to ensure the GM would never actually read it. And two, since he would never actually read it, except in excerpts that I pointed out to justify things, I could rewrite and change things around completely at random without anyone noticing, and most importantly, three, convince everyone that I was serious about this character and that it wasn't simply the game-breaking bullshit that it was. So in short, every GM's worst fucking nightmare. Dickish, yes but he really did have it coming. Now, the page goes into the highlights, but another player of the same game later contributed to the thread two years later with the director's cut, which is what I'm going to read to you now because it is a goddamned gold mine. So, um, <clears throat> before we continue, I do need to make the commentary note that uh, for the remainder of this, please assume that Old Man Henderson has the same voice as Beans from 20 Sided Adventures. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yes, but also no. Because he has an outrageous, uh, an outrageous Scottish accent that comes and goes as the player pleases. Oh, wonderful. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's we're really we're really in the shit now. Lovely. So, uh this person, this this other player from the same game who elaborated a self called nowhere says Waffle House never actually posted more than a quick summary. For those of you curious as to whether or not Old Man Henderson was real, yes. Yes, it was. All of it. I was there. I was 
the player of the professor and like 15 other fucking people because Henderson had no concept of collateral damage or for that matter inside voice. The whole and complete story was fucking crazy because crazy shit is happening in and out of game and he only gave you guys a highlights reel. Let me story time the whole thing. I read the backstory of Doom. What he told you about it does not do it justice. Waffle House tends to get emotionally attached to a well-made character. To him, they're the means of exploring a story, and a good story is something he thinks the very foundations of modern society are based on. He doesn't mind a bad end so long as it's legitimate. Botched a roll at a bad time? Shit happens. Bad choice in character? Meant to be. Simply screwed by circumstance? Them's the shakes. Lol, you're dead because you, you actually disagreed with my self-insert fetish-fueled character with two katanas? I actually had to stop him from choking the fat bastard. <laughs> Which might make him sound like a bad person, but the truth is he's like a bear. Normally, quite chill. Not that easy to piss off. So he doesn't make a move often, but when he does, things like Henderson happen. <laughs> it was the fifth session of the game with a, quote, experienced, unquote, GM using Trail of Cthulhu. Small distinction on the whole, but one worth mentioning in my eyes. And he'd already lost three characters to the stupidest shit. The last one, some evil force put a curse on him, and he ended up being killed up by a horse falling out of an airplane. Yeah. So, GM goes to grab the pizza, since it was his turn to pay, and I could feel the room cooling slightly. Waffle House's expression never changed. He looked at me and the other guys. I know you're thinking about leaving, but I want you to stay. I want you to watch what I'm going to do, he said. <laughs> I knew this was bad because while well, he can get frustrated mad, which is hilarious by the way, he makes a choking noise in the back of his throat like a murloc caught in a trash compactor. When he gets truly pissed, he goes calm. We continue for the evening, and about a week later we come back. He's giving me a ride, and he looks like he hasn't slept in two days. The stubble is almost, but not quite, into gangly half-beard territory. I've done something, says Waffle House. I'm not sure it's a good thing yet, he says, as he hands me the little binder thing he keeps his character sheets and notes in. You've done something, I ask, as I take the folder from him. I... Created? No, created is the wrong term. I feel like he was already there, waiting for me to give him life. I put a thing on paper, and I'm bringing it down on that fat buck like the wrath of God. Uh-huh, I say as I look at the sheet. Is Henderson his first or last name? I don't even fucking know. <laughs> so then I look at the stack of paper he called a backstory. I start reading it, and I'm immediately fascinated by what can only be called a tome of madness. It switched perspectives and tone wildly. At one point, it's written in, with stage directions in the form of a script. At one point, it slipped into German. I know for a fact he only knows like two words in German while I'm kind of fluent. The German was in his handwriting, and it was grammatically flawless. <laughs> oh. What? <laughs> Been asking myself that all fucking day. So we get to the game. The GM asks what we're all doing. Detective guy's drinking alone at his desk, waiting for one of his contacts to get back to him. Jimmy, the high school jock, is struggling with math homework. My character, Professor Filkins, is grading midterms. Then we get to the introduction for Henderson. He's sitting in a lawn chair in his house, 
smoking a bong, staring at a wall he painted to look like a Hawaiian beach. You know, Rupert, he addresses the stuffed parrot, currently resting on the arm of his chair. You're a good friend. Most people would ask for a hit, but I know how much or, but I know you know how much I love this shit. Way better than what we are back in them. He chuckles, and then begins reminiscing. You know, I still remember the first time I got high back in my old brother's van. That must have been some good shit too, because I'm an only child. Ain't that right, Charles? He looks over to an empty corner of the room. Charlie? He gets up, mildly concerned. Man, what the hell? He begins to search the house in earnest, before sitting down on a chair in his kitchen. Where the fuck are my lawn gnomes? I mean, is someone to steal them? Who the fuck is steal them? They were the law, but come on. He pulls up out a sharpie and begins to scribble directly on the table. Alright, 215 gnomes, total weight about 800 pounds, total value approaching 40k. Not a one-man job. And they help to carry them, and they help to sew them. I'm looking at a large and well-organized group of assholes. He looks into the middle distance. Like those guys down the street. They're Mormons, right? Large religious group, come around early morning like those damned Charlies. Roops, I think we got a lead. And then he poured a bottle of Jack into a Daniels, or his bottle, ugh, poured a bottle of Jack Daniels into a large go cup, went, got in his car. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Before I get back to the rest of the party, it should be noted that Henderson looks a lot like Jeff Bridges of today. So I imagine all of his lines in that voice, because that's the voice we were treated to at the table. Now, personally, I don't know what the fuck Jeff Bridges sounds like, but I'm going to continue doing Scottish because that's just, I don't know. Maybe I'll switch. Henderson's insane, so it makes sense that he would switch. Anyway, I, the professor, have a lead on the cult meeting for a while. And I managed to get an invite. I'm sitting in the front row listening to a passionate man talking about how there's more to the world than we know. And despite myself, I'm intrigued. Jimmy, jock type, is sitting outside thinking about his friends and trying to decide if he should go in and talk to them or what. The detective's gotten his call back and is now staking out the scene with some interest. A battered 92 Buick Century fails to get their attention until it suddenly executes a perfect handbrake, handbrake turn and parks at the curb. Back to Henderson's point of view. He's blasting CCR when suddenly he sniffs the air and says, Mormons, before whipping around and parking out front, killing the car. He then gets out of the car and pops the trunk. In full view of the detective, he then shoves Lurid Lucy, an inflatable sex toy of some exceptional quality, to one side and pulls out some sort of Israeli-made combat shotgun and starts walking toward the house. He kicks open the door while our mouths are agape and shouts the words that let us know the game would never be the same. Modern cultists! Any anomalies keeping me away, men! At this point, the GM has not yet realized what Henderson is. In fact, I think I'm the only one who truly understood what was about to happen to my existential horror at this point in time. Here's another fun fact about Waffle House. 
when he's at a game table with a character sheet, you aren't at the table with him. You're at the table with whatever character he's playing until further notice. I don't think he could have metagamed if he tried. So, anyway. The GM has decided to regain control the only way he knows how. By killing Mike Waffle House's latest character via bullshit. So he summons a Shoggoth. Anderson, having passed the will check to not puke up his brains and winning the initiative, comments on how it's the ugliest fucker poodle ever, ugh, god, and then shoots it in the fucking face until it dies. He then shoots the cultist guy who summoned it, then he shoots me, then a random guy, then he pisses on the Shoggoth's corpse since everyone else is too busy losing their shit in a panic over the creature that should not be being summoned, and casually sets the tapestry on fire with his cigar as he walks out the door. So everyone still alive runs the fuck away from the burning building before the cops show up. Henderson makes it home about three blocks away when he realizes something horrible. He totally fucking forgot about the lawn gnomes. <laughs> He runs back to the still-burning building, only to see the fire department has already arrived. They inform him that no gnomes were in the building as far as they can tell. On the one hand, he's relieved as fuck since he didn't lose the gnomes, and killing that many people would probably constitute a hate crime. Never mind that he totally just leveled a church with the speed and brutality of the fucking Spetsnaz. <laughs> he goes to try and cook up where they could have gone at the local pub. The GM at this point looks up from us, or looks up at us from his notes. He's clearly been thrown so far off the fucking tracks by what just happened that he can't improv his way out of it. I, I think I need a minute or ten. He am scrays, and I look over to the man I thought I knew. He had his cell phone out and was asking us if we're cool with Chinese food since we had pizza last week. What? <laughs> The fuck was that? Asks one of our fellow players. Remember when I said I was getting revenge? I brought out the big guns, says Mike. I don't even have the small guns anymore. I was given some once and then probably returned them. Won't be needing these, I said. Hello, Chinese food that I forgot the name of? You still got that special on the shrimp fried rice? Just, just nonchalantly, you know, as you do. <laughs> At this point in the proceedings, Henderson decided that if he couldn't get a proper brainstorming going at home as to the location of the gnomes, he could always try Harry's bar. Good old Harry was scared proper shitless of Henderson after an incident with a commie bastard pinball machine prior to the game's start, so he could drink in peace, and nobody really bothered him about the mounting tab. So he's sitting there working on a new plan of action with his two best friends, Mr. Daniels and Mr. Walker, when suddenly a news report comes on. Apparently some woman was commenting on how the quiet religious group a few blocks away from the bar just had their shit wrecked. Henderson was very interested in knowing that they were not, in fact, Mormons, but rather disciples of the Yellow King, which apparently were a radical sect of Buddhism, question mark, that had the details promptly ignored since there was a hockey game going on. <laughs> then Henderson had a really good idea, since somebody at the other table had the dragnet theme as their ringtone. He knew fuck all about looking for people, but a private detective. So after a few minutes in the phone book, 
he decides to literally call the first name he saw under the PI heading. By sheer freakish coincidence, i.e. plot, the phone in the detective player's office starts to ring. Hello? Only a man who's good at finding things, doesn't have any great love or religious loonies, and doesn't mind maybe shooting an ugly-ass poodle or two. Uh, I'm sorry, who is this? Name's Henderson. I need some help from a professional. Uh, no argument here. You looking to hire a PI? Yep. Had something precious stolen from me. And that was? Roughly $40,000 in lawn gnomes? <laughs> there was a silence, both in game and at the table. <laughs> what? I'm not saying it was cultists, but I'm pretty sure it was cultists. Or aliens, but that seems unlikely given the circumstances. If you're interested, we can talk down at Harry's on the south side by the river. And then he hung up. Since the detective was quickly getting nowhere with his missing persons case, he decided it'd be good for a laugh. Henderson, meanwhile, had discovered that Harry had acquired a Pac-Man arcade machine and decided to fill the scoreboard with profanity. <laughs> As you do. When the detective arrives, he asks for some guy named Henderson, and was probably pointed to a man in unusual attire who was teaching a girl how to shoot pool. Henderson? Hold on just a second. The important part of a shot in pool is to make sure it's smooth. The old time you need to light up the shot, don't let him rush you. He sinks the last three of the balls and, and the eight in one stroke. He turns to the detective, who promptly recognizes him and tries to leave. <laughs> Too bad for him. Henderson decided to follow. So how do you think you're going to go about this? I'm going to get the hell back in my car and leave this crazy-ass arsonist murderer behind. No shit. He looks back over his shoulder at the bar. Which one? He looks at the detective poking him in the chest. What? The church. You burned down a church. They started it. <laughs> you walked in with a shotgun? He asked, exasperated at the infuriatingly flawless logic of a complete insane asshole. No, because they stole my goddamn lawn gnomes. Yeah, you mentioned that. How? Do you fucking steal $40,000 in decorative lawn fixtures? Where the hell did you even get that many gnomes? <laughs> I worked briefly as a prostitute in Thailand. <laughs> the antique gnome collection was my retirement plan. What? <laughs> Ended up riding some dudes junk all the way back home. Elephant uncomfortable pride, let me tell you. Not meant for the ocean blue. I would know. You... You, you understand? understand the logistics of riding another man's junk across the ocean. In a general sense, I took a course on shipbuilding back in college. Uh, this is before we had this fancy navigational GPS. Uh, uh, Alright, you said you were looking for gnomes? Actually, that was earlier. Snow's explaining that I knew so much about catching a ride on somebody's junk because of my vigorous study and my use. Let's focus on the gnomes. You think they were stolen by a cult? Well, I think that makes sense from what I know. I want you to look into those disciples of the Yellow King. See if they're doing anything suspicious. Actually, I was looking into them already for another reason. 
Looks like they've got a hand in human trafficking. Laudanums. Seems like an odd direction to go in, but I won't deny they're up to no good. I'll let you know if I find anything worth talking about. Sounds good. I'm usually at Harry's, unless I'm not. Now if you'll excuse me, I have to go see a man about a horse. Henderson then walked across the street, stole a bicycle, and rode off into a plot hole for a brief period of time. Intermission 1 Because I needed to take a drink. Scottish accent is wearing on my vocal cords. <laughs> so Lance, how do you feel? It is highly likely Lance might just be dead. <laughs> I... Uh... really don't know what to say. <laughs> I think I would have, like, just kind of laid down in the first ten minutes and give up. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, my... Ugh. This is, we're, we're barely even started here. This goes on for a while. This is good <laughs> shit. <clears throat> All right. So, at this point, the guy playing the detective decided to give my character an easy in with the group, since poor Jimmy was still on his lonesome for the moment. In rolls James Fink, one of several characters whom Henderson ended up killing, and the only one besides Simon whose ever, name ever got remembered by the rest of the group. James was a long-time friend of the detective, whose name I just remembered was Albert Johansson. Back when Al was still a cop, Jim was a thug for the local mob. They worked up the ladders of their respective organizations, gained the respect of their co-workers, and eventually ended up leaving their jobs on good terms with their bosses. In Jim's case, it was because his wife had a baby on the way and asked him to find safer work. Al ended up in a shootout where his his partner got killed fighting against a bunch of crazy meth addicts. Shortly after quitting, they ran into each other by coincidence and discovered that the other one was the bastard who kept wrecking our job and getting away. They ended up becoming fast friends. This continued on a fairly regular basis for several years until the Henderson situation. And Al decided he wanted backup. And there was nobody in the world he trusted more. So, Jim said as he walked into the office, who's the client? Some crazy motherfucker named Henderson. That his first or his last name? Man, I have no fucking clue. Alright, so what's he want? Apparently he thinks a cult stole his antique lawn gnome collection. So drop the nutter. Two good reasons not to. The cult he's accusing I honestly believe to be involved in both activity illegal and bizarre. The other is that any man who can afford to just have 40 grand and lawn gnomes lying around can write a paycheck. Why the hell would somebody have 40? Don't tug on this particular string, Jim. Trust me. Just don't. So, what's our first lead? Well, I was gonna go kick around in the ashes of the church my new boss burned down and see if there were any witnesses. Wait, our boss caused that church fire? Yeah. So you're in? You kidding? I need to see how deep this rabbit hole goes. That evening, they went to the site and discovered the Shoggoth's corpse. 
There wasn't enough left of it to force sanity checks, but plenty of to make them start asking some pointed questions. The professor ended up on the list of people to look into when his body was identified, and then they found the page of the Necronomicon. Recognizing the occult symbols on it, the detective dropped it off at his office while he went to ask if he could borrow a notebook out of the cold case evidence lockers. <clears throat> Henderson, meanwhile, discovered that during a recent bender, he had agreed to chaperone a dance at the local high school. So he swings by the detective's office to let him know where he'll be. He's at the office, and he meets Jim, and asks him to pass along the info to Al, and then snags the scrap in the Necronomicon on the way out the door, saying he needed paper. Jim failed his spot to notice which sheet he took. The GM fudged it, probably assuming Henderson was going to read it, and he could kill him off via sanity damage. Boy, fucking howdy, was he wrong. Henderson shows up to the dance in his usual attire, slightly less scruffy than usual, and volunteers to sit outside and make sure punks from the other schools didn't try and gatecrash the party. The more proper people were glad to keep him out, since that meant he wouldn't be able to corrupt the youth or anything. Henderson was glad because it was n there was no way they'd let him smoke the monster blunt he'd just rolled inside. I then realized, as he lit an Atomica, as he called it, a blunt roughly the size of a Cuban cigar, that there was currently only one piece of paper on his person. As soon as they found out where he was in character, I went to the school to try and prevent the inevitable. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Jimmy, the jock, was sitting outside, sad because his girlfriend didn't come, because she was too busy being a crazy cultist. Henderson decides to introduce him to the wonderful world of substance abuse, and like a bro, passes the blunt to the left. <laughs> to be totally honest, I'm surprised this moment didn't make the original story, since smoking the giant book of bad juju was the best thing to ever happen on accident. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy took a hit and totally failed every check the GM sent his way. He saw Jesus, and then Jesus turned into a giant squid thing. In the deep distance, the weed softened the blow by masking everything behind a cartoony afterglow. So imagine for a moment watching Elmer Fudd scream Cthulhu Fatagan and shoot Daffy in the face, only instead of a fucked up beak and a muttering of this means war, he screams, he comes! And tentacles rip out of his form to molest wildlife. Oh. This is the part where I had to go yes. to the door and retrieve the precious shrimp fried rice, but came back to, so wait, I only lost 15 sanity? Yeah, what now? I pass it back. Henderson, of course, manages to ace the tests and comments on how this is some really good shit, man, and how Jimmy is a lightweight. Jimmy then does a bit better, and they get to swapping stories. Pretty soon, the cult comes up, and they agree to join forces for the sake of cute girls next door and lawn gnomes everywhere. Sad sadly, that roach burned fast and hard, so when me and Al got there, all we saw was the crazy old fuck and some ginger teenager crashed together against the wall, giggling at those squilly, sit silly squid things in people's heads. We discover the kid's connection to the madness and promptly discover what he knows. <clears throat> this leads to the three people who didn't have school tomorrow, both in and out of game, to prepare a stakeout of some church. At this point, we all get into Jim's van and park down the street from a church. The church 
happens to be on the end of a road at a T-shaped intersection, and we're parked a bit of the way from it. <clears throat> Man, stakeouts are boring. No shit, Henderson. You have anything useful to contribute? Not really. Should have brought a book or something. Would you be paying attention to the building if you had reading material? Nope. Then I guess that would defeat the purpose of a stakeout, wouldn't it? Not if you two were watching. Hell, we could have two of us watching the third man play a beat. You'd volunteer for that? Beats the fuck out of sitting in a van with two dudes who won't even let me smoke. Didn't you smoke evidence the last time you lit up? I regret nothing. Fuck it. You guys hungry or something? I'm gonna go grab some munchies from the gas station. Bring coffee. And some cheese doodles. Alright. Back in... Nah, fuck it. Just leave the doors unlocked. And he went in search of snacks. When he hopped out of the van, one of the cultists happened to see him on a lucky roll, and as he walked around the corner into the gas station, they ran out and beat the shit out of the two of us he left behind. About the time we got dragged into the building, Henderson had finally got out of the bathroom. About the time we got tied to the altar, Henderson had stopped to try on hats. About the time the ritual reached its height, Henderson was debating which ACDC album was best with the cashier. The end result of the argument was that while they couldn't decide if Back in Black or Dirty Deeds was the best album, Black Ice was pretty boss and heralded only good. <clears throat> and now we go to the fucking tanker truck incident. This is told from first person perspective because this is from the original highlights reel. Musical interlude, edit in here. Now, time for what will forever be known as THE tanker truck incident. Notice THE is capitalized. This is because no matter what incidents in the future may involve tanker trucks, this is the definitive one. It started out innocently enough. Old man Henderson left the stakeout in a van outside the evil cult's meeting place to go get some hooch. The only people left there were the detective and James Fink. Professor's second character, who you've met. Jimmy was gone because it was a school night. Old man Anderson was a bad influence, but damned if he didn't have the kid's best interest at heart. <clears throat> I'm on my way back walking along. The detective and James had been brought inside as part of a ritual to give Haster an avatar in our world. He had been banished, and the only way he could come here is via a loophole. He could only use as hosts people who knew he existed and had thwarted him thrice, and then he had to make them drink the lifeblood of their closest friend to make the binding permanent. In case you're wondering, permanent binding equals game over. The first part of the ritual was completed, but before Hoster could take control, the detective broke James's shackles through a couple of lucky rolls, and he tried to run. He made it as far as the street when the detective, now Hoster, caught up with him in part demon form. This is where the church was located. At the end of a road, on a T-shaped intersection, there was a gas station three blocks away. Old man Henderson sees shit hit the fan, and steals a half-full tanker truck that was refueling the station's holding tank. While I bring the truck up to ramming speed, I toss a 12-pound block of C4 in the passenger seat, and rig the detonator to the airbags. 
Old Man Henderson takes a bracing shot of whiskey, jams a knife through the gas pedal, and jumps out of the truck onto his Heelys. Yep, he <laughs> modified his combat boots to have Heelys. I swear to God, I had not planned that. The Heelys just sounded like something ridiculous and in character. He watched the truck ram the detective into the church and blow him and all the cultists to kingdom fucking come. The truck also killed James by running him over. He died like a bitch. That's when the back trail ignited, fire going all the way back to the gas station and destroying it, continuing my streak of accidentally destroying anything that might lead people back to old man Henderson. Henderson took a moment to call Jimmy. Henderson there! Figure out what the nasties are weak against! Uh, what's that, Mr. Henderson? Put blank annihilation! Click. Oh. Yep. So. That is the tanker truck incident. I think Lance is slowly becoming an eldritch being just by having just right? rebirth through listening to this. Uh-huh. Are you back okay? To the, back to the perspective of the former professor, now James. <clears throat> Motherfucker left me to die. Sure, it wasn't like I was screaming for help, but he could have at least checked. I finished bleeding to death two turns later. Since I'm not sure how familiar TG is with certain Cthulhu-based rule books, I was basically in what D&D calls alive, but with negative hit points. Helpless, dying, but there's still hope. Until the back trail ignited and the tiny amount of fire damage ended me. My one consolation was that the fire blew up a gas station and took the bar he left me for with it. Then the detective's player, after the fastest re-roll I've ever seen, entered the stage there entered stage left. William Brocklaw runs in and yells about how his newly refurbished bar just got destroyed on the evening of its grand reopening. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, I can help you get back of the people who did this. Who the hell are you? Name's Henderson. The right-hand <laughs> man Rupert. You know who did this? Ah, oh, fairly certain I do. Ever heard of the disciples of the Yellow King? Are you saying this was done by cultists? Look, I'm not saying it was cultists, but it was probably cultists. Come on, your bar might be gone, but that's not the only watering hole in town. Have you heard of a pub called Harry's? It looked like he could use a drink. At oh, Harry's bar, he got filled in on what Henderson knew while getting a couple of drinks on the house. I probably would have been there too were I not slightly pissy about losing two characters in as many sessions. After a few minutes of back and forth, Will decides he'll get in on it if Henderson can provide some proof as to the whole evil cultist thing. Why'd you decide to go after them? Revenge, mostly. Really? What happened? Same bastard blew up your bar, killed two of my buddies. This is all after I stole my fucking lawn gnomes. Damn. Tell you what. When we catch the guy, I'll hold him still while you kill him. Mighty generous of you. This was the point where we called it for the evening, and at the start of the next session, Henderson headed up a daring plan to kidnap one of the heads of the cult. Quick spoiler, I managed to get three of my own characters killed in one session. <coughs> Intermission oh. 2. I am dying over here. Jeez. <clears throat> oh, it keeps escalating. 
Uh, Lance, it's time for me to be your paramedic. Are you all right? I... I think I need a long rest. <laughs> yeah. I have taken, like, 3d12 psychic damage. Just yeah, listening to this to story. We have reached Director's Caught Part 3. We are three-fourths of the way through this. I see. <clears throat> this is the story uh, of Henderson's hat trick. Uh, sorry, what, Lance? Are we sure I can't drink yet? It's almost ten. That's I like... Think, I think... When it hits ten, you are allowed to. Uh, okay, continue. <laughs> Bringing back some memories of bad players? Fucking cultists. Fucking cultists, man, you can say that again. Fucking cultists. This is the story of Henderson's hat trick. While killing a god is cool and all, and that happens a lot in tabletop games. Granted, it was the first for a Call of Cthulhu-inspired game, but I digress. Henderson has another record that I find far more irritating for obvious reasons. Henderson is the only player character I've ever seen manage to kill the same player's characters four times in a single session. <laughs> Name mine, the bastard. Technically, I mistyped the end of that last thread. I re-rolled three times in one sitting, but I already had one character ready to go at the beginning. When we first arrived for the game that day, I was determined to not get upset at a character death. It's all just a game. It's pretend. I failed, eventually. I don't even remember the name of my first character. The session began with the cultists using a mob front, planning to kill the son of a rival crime family. Incidentally, the same one Jim used to work for. I was playing the role of bodyguard, and I was quickly knocked out and thrown in the trunk of one car while the kid was loaded in the backseat of another. Enter stage left, Henderson and Will. They see them wacky cultists up to no good, and they decided to nick the, the vehicle with the visible hostage. While Will hotwired it, Henderson punched a hole in the gas tank of the second car and lit it off. They then sped away after unknowingly leaving my character to burn screaming in the trunk of the second car. Jesus. <sighs> Approximate time elapsed between the start of the session and the first character death. Two minutes and 30 seconds. Oh no. I promptly rolled up a second character and agreed with the GM that I should wait until a more appropriate time to join the scene and in the middle of a drive or sorry, then in the middle of a drive across town. They then decide to pull into a local bar with the Don's kid to help him get off his problem. My second character of the evening's name was Ron Ronald. I almost said Roland. That's not right. Ronald was a used car salesman coming off the tail end of a bad divorce in which his wife gained all their worldly possessions and promptly killed herself and left it all to the new church she had found, the Disciples of the Yellow King. At this point in time, he was playing darts. Unbeknownst to him, a cultist from that church just let loose a powerful entropy curse after the car that was stolen from them. A curse with a very specific target. Brake lines of the car coming in for a hard stop just outside. 
Ronald looked at the perfect game he was playing and felt genuine joy for the first time in weeks. Then he was ripped in half by a BMW coming through the brick wall behind him. This was less than 10 minutes after the first death of the evening. Jeez. Right? Henderson gets out of the car, and the bartender with the mob connections immediately puts a gun in his face. What the bloody hell do you think you're doing? Trying to escort a young man to safety. Damn cultists must have cut the brakes. The bartender then recognizes the Dawn's son, calls him over to see if he's alright. Danny, the boy, is confused, but mostly unhurt. This saved Henderson's life, but the GM soundly refused to let me just take control of such a politically powerful character to get back in the game quicker, so I started to roll up another. A cop looking into a, a lead in the weird house across town. The weird house connected to a cold case that his old friend Al had asked about immediately before his mysterious death in the middle of a huge explosion. A place the mob had just told Henderson and Will should have answers for some of the questions they had as a favor for saving their son. You can see where this is going. <sighs> they get there after me and open the door to creep inside. I've already investigated the upstairs, found notes saying something about a lab in the basement. Henderson, in the meantime, had gone straight down on the logic of what the hell kind of evil cultist just fucks around the living room when they have a creepy ass cellar to play with? He finds an old summoning circle down there and decides to spit in its general direction, accidentally activating it as he walks out the far door, finding nothing of interest in that room. Upon discovering the other door leads outside, he circles back around into the house and winds up in the study with Will. Meanwhile, with my new lead pointing, it, pointing me in the basement, I run in, see the horrible thing taking shape, botch the fuck out of my save against crawl into the fetal position and cry while losing 2d10 sanity. Henderson, meanwhile, picks up a book off the shelf and flips it open to a random page. What the hell kind of golly good is this anyway? How are you supposed to pronounce this? He turns to Will, completely oblivious to the betentacled beast he just conjured into existence behind him cocked eyebrow barely visible above the rim of his sunglasses. What's that even mean? What's the point of wasting paper with that sort of nonsense? Will, having barely failed his sanity check, loses five points from his score and points behind him muttering about some a thing that should not be. Henderson chuckles and says how he's not going to fall for that one again. Last time he did... <clears throat> The hooker he was interrogating via V lawn gnomes had her pimp beat the shit out of him and steal his wallet. So, he leads Will to the kitchen, leaving the monster to its own devices. In the kitchen, Henderson continues to be disappointed with the continuing lack of clues while the professor is overjoyed to discover that the liquor cabinet was never emptied by the previous owners and helps himself to a bottle. Well, the professor's player, Will. Then the local cultists, getting a report of Henderson's location, proceed to kick in the door to come kill him. Three of them are eaten by the thing Henderson summoned in the study, and while they're screaming, the two of them uh, take a peek at the next room, and Henderson smashes all the alcohol and lights it off while they run back out the door. The abomination in the basement, with me, does nothing of importance, while I regain my wits and attempt to leave. I burst out the way I came, see the fire, and immediately have a second breakdown caused by a pre-existing phobia of fire I randomly rolled for, and then die burning, screaming in pain and terror. 
much like the cultists and the monsters. Arson 2, Flamey Boogaloo. Jesus Christ. Strike 3! Meanwhile, Will is asking Henderson why his car only has the CCR playing ever. It turns out that it's because the CD is jammed in there and the radio is broke. Henderson just never bothered to fix it because Credence is awesome. So they ride away happily listening to Around the Bend while I fucking died for the third time in the past hour. At this point, I was beginning to get a little pissy and break my promise to myself not to let the game get to me. I roll up another character, determined to do something of consequence in this session. I ended up with a nasty street-fighting thug named Patrick. Somebody in a yellow robe gave Pat a pile of money and a picture of Henderson, asking him to make sure that Henderson disappeared. Normally, Pat would think twice about accepting such a shady deal since he preferred to rough people up. It could get you, couldn't get you 25 to life. However, it was a lot of money, and I was getting to be very bitter about the whole dying every fucking session thing. So Pat agreed to the job. Figured this would end with me either killing Henderson or us getting into a scuffle and Pat switching teams. <laughs> oh, how wrong I was. Turns out, Henderson wasn't a particularly hard fellow to find, since there's only one crazy old fucker with a mohawk and a Hawaiian shirt running around reeking of cheap whiskey and porcelain. When Pat caught up with him, Henderson was taking a piss in an alleyway on the cardboard home of a homo he just that had just tried... Sorry, a hobo that had just tried to mug him. Now dead. This was not a, a very family-friendly game. As he finishes up, Pat taps him on the shoulder, and he turns. You, Henderson? Indeed I am. And then Pat's right hook hits him in the face and smashes his aviator shades into a useless mess of metal and glass shards. At which point, Henderson very calmly pulls it off his face and pulls out a spare pair of shades, puts them on, and comments, Well, that was kind of rude. Pat caught him with a left. Henderson tosses the second useless pair of sunglasses aside, dons a third set, and says, No, son, I've only got one more pair on me, and I've got considerably less patience than that. What a bloody hell living fuck hell are you doing? I got good money from a man in yellow saying you're no good son of a bitch who needs to be put down. At this, Henderson puts on a very surprised and concerned face. A man in yellow, you see. Son, I'm afraid that there's been a very big mistake here. I've been lied to? Nah, you're pretty spot on, Henderson replies before shooting out both my knees with his concealed handgun followed by a pair to the balls. But no man gets between me and me we men. He then walks out of the alleyway, leaving me to bleed to death, and everyone at the table looks just kind of shocked that Henderson just blatantly executed a PC right there. I will admit to flipping my shit. While the GM went to consult his notes, I confronted him. Why the fuck did you just kill me? What? You just fucking shot me dead. I shot a random guy who threatened my life and started trying to beat the shit out of me in the middle of a crime scene where I totally just murdered a hobo? Yes, yes I did. What possible reason could I have to not shoot you? It's me, you dick! I've already died like three times today! That's metagaming. I went to make the call for takeout knowing that I would have hit him if I had stayed.
<clears throat> now, before anybody says anything, I know getting violently angry over a game is stupid, and that's why I walked away before it got the better of me. Nobody in the group, except maybe the GM, was a that guy. But we all had a tendency or two that could have put us into that category. Mike has a thing about the rules and about characters that I'm pretty sure are signs of his OCD coming to the fore. It's a really mild case you wouldn't even know that he had it if you didn't notice little things, like the fact that he never has the volume set for an odd number. If there are rules in place for a game, he expects them to be followed as written. If someone modifies the rules for some reason, that's fine as long as he knows in advance this has changed. The dice land is the dice land, and he tends to be very chill on the whole thing as long as you don't manage to piss him off. Me, I like being a team player. I honestly hate playing a multiplayer game if it means going against my friends. I think this quirk may have eventually rubbed off on Mike as far as <clears throat> video games are concerned, but I digress. One of my sore spots is basically infighting. If two people start to have a fight, in character or out of character, it ruins the fun for me. I don't give a shit if the random kobolds we're beating up were having a bad day. I don't give a shit about some random guy in a server I keep sniping, but the guy I'm shooting isn't Dave, my friend who let me move in if I, after I had a bad breakup. That kobold isn't Mike's new player character. Personally, I think this is where the line between that guy and the rest of us is drawn. We're all geeks and nerds. Given what gets posted on 4chan on a large and daily basis, I think it's fair to say we're all assholes to some degree as well. And the difference between us and that guy is that we're trying to be at least be acceptable, if not good. But I've gotten off topic. I opted to go for a quick drive to get the pizza since it was a bit cheaper and we were taking a break anyway. Mike decides to go with me, defeating the purpose of me trying to get away and clear my head. On the way was probably the time where we actually became friends. Up till this point, we'd just been kind of hanging out in the same group, playing games and shit. But on this day, I don't know what prompted it, but I got angry and I kind of yelled at him. He took it in stride and came back with a reasoned argument and let the matter drop. On the way back, we bickered over stupid shit, but I think out of all the crazy things I've seen and done with him, near-death experiences, epic games, late nights having to go help a friend, that time he talked down the jumper, this was the one that stuck with me most. Partly because I've never before seen anybody just let their guard down and be honest like that. I'm not sure what we actually talked about, except this. He actually bought Saint Anger. For fuck's sake, are you ever going to let me live that down? That CD was fucking garbage and you know it. I didn't at the time. <laughs> And they get into an argument about Metallica. Back to the story at hand. We get back to the table. And the GM has got some new stuff lined up. I decide to opt out of re-rolling and rejoining, even though we were only like halfway through the session, because I wasn't ready to have another character killed off just yet. Will and Henderson bounce around trying to find a lead to work with for the whole revenge plot they were working on. They ended up meeting up with Jimmy to try and talk his girlfriend out of being a cultist, which ended up fantastic. Jimmy basically go agrees to go to one of the meetings if she promised to seriously have a chat with him afterwards about the whole joining a cult thing. She agreed, basically telling him that he totally changed his mind once he saw that it was all about. Now, Jimmy, despite being a jock, was a smart boy, and he called Henderson's cell phone for backup in case things went south. So pretty soon, Henderson and Will are sitting outside of the church on the curb waiting. <coughs> Henderson breaks the silence. I fucking hate stakeouts. They aren't that bad. Last time I was on a stakeout too, my friends got killed and your bar burnt down. Does this shit happen on a regular basis with you? Well, not causing it. Not usually. I remember I got arrested about a year ago for scaring a cook shitless. 
What? Why? I told the motherfucker I was allergic to olives. I get olives on my everything. Could have fucking died if I didn't check it out. There's a silence. <clears throat> Fuck it. There's a Best Buy and a video rental place around the corner. I vote we get one of those portable DVD things in a movie. Fuck yes. Shit, they're just here in case Jimmy calls us. Look, I get baked and watch something funny. So they went, got a copy of Grandma's Boy, got high, and laughed their asses off. In public, outside a church, they're supposed to be watching for cultists that already know what Henderson looks like. Surprisingly, nothing comes of this until Jimmy calls them from inside the church. Apparently, they just called up some kind of demon and told it to eat his girlfriend and him as a sacrifice to their god. His girlfriend, shocked at the sudden change in tone from the companionable, welcoming air that was there before, suddenly realized that cults aren't as awesome as she thought they were. And that's when Henderson and Will run inside, guns drawn. Bleh, guns drawn. Jimmy, wise man that he is, grabs his girlfriend and ducks while full auto shotgun spray kills every motherfucker in the room, including the demon. <clears throat> they go outside and into the car. Henderson starts it up while Will keeps the arson streak alive and sets the building on fire. As they pull away, Carrie, Jimmy's girlfriend, goes my hero on them, and soon the two freaked teenagers are getting busy in the back seat. Will looks shocked. Henderson lights at the bong up and starts hotboxing while cranking up the stereo. Which is when they pass the cop going in the opposite direction. Oh. To this day, I giggle to myself thinking about what that cop must have been thinking when he saw that. There's Henderson driving the car, taking a hit off the bong the size of a god. Next to him is a dude who looks slightly less like Kevin, or looks like a slightly less fat Kevin Smith looking bored out the window. And there's so much smoke inside, you'd think the car's on fire. And two people getting busy in the back seat. I'd like to think he was thinking about his family or going to watch a hockey game at the bar with his friends or maybe asking that cute waitress out. Some part of me desperately wants to know why it took him two blocks to process what he just saw. Henderson keeps going, not a care in the world. Cop pulls a huge U-turn and starts to follow him. Henderson keeps going. Cop turns on his lights. Henderson keeps going. Sir, pull over the vehicle, the cop says into his loudspeaker. Henderson pulls into a drive-thru. The cop walks halfway up through walks up halfway through an order for tacos and politely asks what the fuck he thinks he's doing. Henderson responds with Hold on a sick gesture and finishes his order. Then he asks the cop if he wants anything. The cop asks him to please step out of the car, sir. Officers of uh, offers of a chalupa are denied. Henderson gets out of the car, a plume of smoke accompanying his exit. Jimmy and Carrie are kind of blushing and avoiding eye contact, mostly having recuperating. Will, having seen three cosmic horrors in the last day, killed a bunch of people and still coping with the loss of his bar, apparently has no fucks left to give. He just sits there, high off his ass, listening to Fortunate Son. The cop interrogates him as to why he didn't pull over, and Henderson responds that he was, the, he was because he was colorblind and didn't realize there was a cop behind him. The cop asks why he smelled like weed, and Henderson straight up replied it was because he just smoked a huge fucking bowl, but it's cool because he has one of those medical licenses. <laughs> <laughs> when asked about the, the teenagers in the back seat, he stated confusion and asked what kids before looking back and seeing Jimmy. 
Hey, Jimmy, when did you get here? You came to pick us up? No shit. Tell you what, he says to the cop. Memory is the first thing to go, followed by the memory. How can I help you, officer? After replaying the conversation a few more times, the cop made Will drive and they left relatively unmolested with their tacos. (laughs) (sighs) Now we get to the grand... Well, okay. Director's Cut Part 4, featuring the grand finale and the yacht. Oh my god. (laughs) I thought we'd just be sitting here forever. Are you okay, Lance? I think the further we go into this, the more I want to be him. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I'm oh, like, man, Henderson is my fucking hero. I'm slowly. I aspire to be Henderson when I get old. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday! Happy late birthday, my boy, Lance. Yeah. The big 3-0. Decade number 4. 3-0. My warranty has officially expired. <laughs> uh, now you know... Well, now you have plans for how to live up the remainder of your days warranty-free. Just get 40k worth of lawn, mo- lawn gnomes. Well, I am on Amazon. <laughs> oh. oh my god. <laughs> How much does one lawn gnome cost you, Lance? If you were on, you're on Amazon right now. Let's... You go go ahead and do the uh, finale, and I will get back to you with those numbers. Yeah. Oh, this is we're we're still a ways from the end because we have the yacht and the grand finale. Okay, so one at a time. One at a time. Mm-hmm. Director's cut part four. <clears throat> when are left off? On the last story, our intrepid heroes had just gotten their hands on tacos and narrowly avoided getting arrested. Henderson is formally introduced to Carrie at that point, and I declined the offer to take over her character to get back in the game. I already had a character in mind. The session was almost over at this point anyway. (sighs) Henderson, being the responsible adult that he is, takes the kids to Harry's. If you're old enough to kill cultists, you're old enough to drink. (laughs) He grabbed everyone a beer. We got most of the way into an elaborate Big Lebowski reference when Mike finally asked the question in a tone of voice that suggested irritation. What the hell are you guys talking about? What? I mean, you guys are clearly having a laugh at my expense. I don't mind that, but I'm not getting the joke and it's pissing me off. Dude, Henderson is practically the dude from the Big Lebowski. Can't be accidental. It was. I've never seen the movie. What? I've never seen the Big Lebowski? What the fuck do you mean you've never seen it? Not sure how that can be misinterpreted. I think my uncle mentioned liking it in passing once. The GM agreed to call the evening right there so he could work on the next part of the game while we dragged our fearless leader to watch what we thought was a fantastic movie. For the record, says Mike, it wasn't half bad, but it wasn't great. (laughs) At Harry's, next session, they bump into my second-to-last character, Malcolm Reeves. Mal was a soldier who just got discharged from the military after a tour of duty sent him into a nest of monsters. He was diagnosed with schizophrenic hallucinations caused by PTSD and sent home. He overhears Henderson talking about cultists and deformed hell poodles and asks if he can get involved. We move out of the bar as the evening begins to set in, in various degrees of drunk. We start with the building Henderson exploded. Nothing. 
We go back to the remains of the church Henderson burned down. Nada. Same story with the old mansion and the cult meeting we saved Carrie from. Fucking cultists, Henderson yelled. Not one clue anywhere. Maybe if you didn't burn everything down, we'd have more to work with, Mal suggests. We waged a scorched earth sort of war here, kid, Henderson says darkly. Well, I can wait till we get a lead. Anyone have any ideas? Jimmy, buzz well on its way to wearing off, raises a hand. Uh, the internet? What the hell's an internet? <laughs> and then Henderson learned something new about the world that day. <laughs> Seeing as how Carrie and Jimmy's parents wouldn't want a trio of random dudes showing up to their house to use their computers, they do the next most logical thing. Break into the library and use the public access lines. Sadly, Google had zero useful results under Goram Poodle fucking cultists. Disciples of the Yellow King, as Jimmy pointed out, and then corrected Henderson's spelling, had a list of locations and various possible meeting times for the groups across the city. There were ten undestroyed locations, and several of them were having meetings this very night. Clearly, the GM wanted us to get back to investigating. Henderson instead bought enough gasoline to make about 50 Molotovs, and we burned every one of those motherfuckers down that evening, before dropping the kids off at home for a good night's sleep. Mal buys the first round as we watch the news, seeing our exploits all over TV. Oh! We all, yep. <laughs> we all got a good laugh when the cops apparently failed their assorted checks, tests, and investigations. Since we players decided as a group that going to confront possible suspects meant having no fucking clue what's up and we're going to go arrest Br Jeff Bridges, Kevin Smith, and Marshall Mathers. Triumphantly, we return home for the evening and we catch the news the next morning. Apparently, people are appalled by hate crimes against this one religious group in the community and they send their prayers with them. The head of the local cultists thanked the community for their concern and said he had the permission of the local government to gather together and pray for the souls of the departed in a local high school gym. In retrospect, the GM telling us that every living cultist of Hoster would be gathering into one convenient location should have been a hint that it was a trap. One big enough to be visible from space. This is when Henderson had a cunning plan. He was going to go there and talk to the head cultist guy. I tell him it's a fantastic plan, since Will already shared the summoning of the demon thing Henderson accidentally accomplished with him. So, the new plan, of which Henderson was only vaguely aware, was that Jimmy was going to help the deacon set up a slideshow thing for all the words of the prayer that he was going to lead. Henderson asked what significance the lawn gnomes had in their worship. The deacon, after deducing that he wasn't in fact being mocked, ex explained that the church was rather neutral on the topic of lawn gnomes. Henderson kept chasing the line as hard as he could, think asking about things like human-gnome relations, whether, whether gnomes had souls, whether said souled gnomes could theoretically be used as sacrifices to Satan or whatever. The deacon then, and I'm quoting the GM here, in the only good line he had ever given in the entire game, gave Henderson a look. A look that could only be summed up as, Dude, I fucked a Shoggoth and you're creeping me out. <laughs> Jimmy then led Henderson away from the fracas after he completed his secret mission of changing one of the slides about a third of the way into the show. 
That evening, the cultists prayed to Hoster. They asked for guidance and protection. They asked that their dead be avenged, and they asked that they be allowed to continue serving. Or at least, that was the intent. One of the slides had been changed to say something more like, al wia al Cthulhu futagen kilifar al as is arcas fal depwa. One horrible tentacled monstrosity per member saying the prayers out loud. The GM assumed we would crash the show. We chose instead to barricade the doors and leave. After the horrors had ripped apart the cultists, they turned on each other. Soon the hall was left with only the dead and the dying, with some stone-cold motherfuckers shooting pool across town. <laughs> However, we didn't account for one thing. Hoster wasn't the only game in town, and a high priest of Cthulhu felt a hundred monsters being called into the world in his master's name. He investigates and finds the scene of the crime, then looks into the earlier summoning performed by Henderson. Gravely insulted by the turn of affairs, he uses a sympathetic binding using what little remained of a corpse to stick a pair of hellhounds on Henderson before returning to his meditations. When they catch up to him, Will's already gone home, the kids are sleeping, and Henderson's going for a walk with Malcolm. My character. You can see where this is fucking going, can't you? <laughs> oh no! We're in the park not far from his house, about to part ways when we hear a horrible snarling noise. Pistols drawn, we get a locky shot off and kill one of them while the second leaps onto Henderson's face. He throws it off and dodges his sec its second coming. Guess who gets a crit to the fucking throat? Guess. <sighs> it's not fucking Henderson. Jeez. Yes, I'm still bitter that no character other than Simon survived across multiple sessions. But we'll get to him soon enough. So as the monster kills me, Henderson manages a few solid kicks into it. The summoner, having detected a kill from his beast, dismissed the survivor, assuming that he got the kill that he desired. He did not. Henderson called the cops, and Mal was given a small but tasteful funeral at the military's expense. The official police reports read it off as a mauling by some dogs that apparently escaped, heavily wounded. The surviving party members raised a glass in his name, while you and I are going to diverge from the sad scene. That night, on the way home, I, the player, had a terrible premonition. I now wonder, looking back, if that was the same fey mood that took Mike the evening he created Henderson. I lurked for I googled strategies. I shared small snippets of my sob story online while I accumulated knowledge. Henderson was born of madness and a man's hatred towards blind antagonism. I, on the other hand, turned my eyes toward a magic more solid, practiced, dependable, evil. I delved into deliberate munchkinism for one express purpose, the creation of Simon Breckenridge, British spy. I knew, setting out, I would never curb Henderson's madness. I could never hope to match it either. I therefore built Henderson's exact opposite. Sane, competent, cunning, his karmic balance, the yin to his yang, his fucking soulmate in plot annihilation. The perfect support character. When utilized properly. A well-made and well-played support character is a fucking force multiplier for team effectiveness. 
Since Henderson was already wrecking the campaign harder than anything I could possibly design, I chose to co-opt Mike's efforts and make the Henderson situation exponentially worse. Good. <laughs> Good. Since I've been absent for longer than intended from the whole director's cut thing I've been doing, I'm going to power through the rest of the story, so excuse me while I go slip into something a bit more comfortable and grab a snack. I recommend you do as well. It is a hell of a ride. Mike, Mike comments, Simon was intentional? Oh, that explains so much. Man, I can't make shit up off the cuff like you can. Simon was a week's effort. I skipped a couple of classes to perfect my technique. Switching away from the antics of Henderson for a little while, we take the action to London. Most spies who try to James Bond-level bullshit get killed. They get lost or abandoned by their own country. Most spies are not Simon Breckenridge. Due to careful manipulation of events behind the scenes, he managed to close multiple gaps in security, sleep with the most attractive ladies in town, and pass all the blame to other people. He had a distinguished career behind him and retired at age 45 with enough embezzled government funds to have tried him to have him tried for treason. Less than a week later, without his spy network in place, his country house was destroyed and he goes back to work trying to figure out who killed his wife. His one lead skips town on a boat, so he goes to America with one goal in mind. Revenge. He knows that he'll have to use local conditions to, to his advantage since he's going in blind without a penny to his name. After all, the Crown could hardly be caught funding a covert operation stateside. I track the yacht and find out where it intends to make landfall. I send a wire back home and discover that it's an influential member of a group known as the Disciples of the Yellow King. Looking around, it's not exactly hard to figure out why he might be interested in this town. Someone apparently declared war on his fucking religion. Guess who that might be? Oh. I decide that finding the group responsible for this would be a wise move, since the enemy of my enemy would make an excellent disposable asset for, given, for the given value of friend. Deciding to get up bright and early the next day, I search it out. I retire to a pub... Uh, sorry, to search it out. I retire to a pub near my quaint hotel room intending to sample the local fare. As I walk into Harry's pub, I'm greeted by a pair of people in the midst of a heated argument. I'm telling you, Will, this sort of degenerate activity is what's wrong with this country today. You're fucking crazy, Henderson. Each generation has its thing. You guys had Woodstock. This is just the new thing. Come on, we all know those punks on TV are talentless hacks. The real masters of the craft are dead and gone. I guess that's true enough, assuming you give proper credit to the proper men. Well, there is no fucking way in any universe that Tupac was better than Biggie. Let's get a second opinion here. He points at Simon. You there, new guy. Yes. Tupac or Biggie? But well, president, I'd rather vote for someone with a sense of pizzazz. What's Liberace doing these days? Henderson smiles. I think I like this guy. So, me. let's... What brings you across the pond? I'm a secret agent for the Crown. I came here to reenact a James Bond movie and get thrown out under assumed name. Given your hilarious liberal gun laws, that should make most of my holiday. Which Bond? Connery, the proper one, Simon notes, a hint of distaste in his voice. Nice. Henderson looks at the TV. Eh, they're talking about us again. Your church? Mm -mm, sorry, gotta do the voice. Your church? Simon asks, taking mental notes. 
<clears throat> Victims of jihad, Will responds, taking a sip of beer. Demon summoning cultist bastards. Stole my nooms, too. How do you reckon they did that anyway? Will asks, turning to his compatriot. Near a psych, I guess? Some sort of ritual sacrifice. By the way, that taxidermist ever finished stuff on that poodle? Figured I can use him to keep away the kids in all the way. Simon finishes his mental assessment. These morons will make excellent cannon fodder. Gentlemen, the proposition. He then explains the yacht situation to the two of them, while Henderson takes a call from Jimmy. He laughs. Can you boys handle getting some parachutes and some speakers for a rock concert? I just saw the best fucking plan ever. What sort of plan is this? Will asks, watching Henderson intently. The best one ever. Come on. What have I ever lied to you? Refusing to explain further, he goes and leaves in his Buick to unknown destinations. <clears throat> Will lets out a sigh. I know where we can get some speakers. You think you can get parachutes? I think I can manage. We meet back up here tomorrow. So we went off to do some very mundane things. One second. Intermission three, I guess. Vocal cords are dying again. So Lance. <laughs> okay, so I found out that I can get 1,600 tiny lawn gnomes for $2,064. It's a good deal. <laughs> it's very tempting. Reminds me of the aliens. The I do alien get 15% planet. off on my second purchase, too, so... Ooh, that's a good deal. I wish I had yeah. gone through with my, my alien prank plan after all. I told you guys about the aliens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Get 2,000 of the little tiny glow-in-the-dark plastic aliens and cover the fucking shower floor with them. God, I, I still don't think my that. HOA would like me if I had 3,200 tiny lawn gnomes in my yard. <laughs> no, they would not. It might be worth it. <laughs> Maybe. And Maybe. then I could sit out on my lawn in a lawn chair and smoke a bong. Yeah. Then you're halfway there. Yep. Just gotta get a stuffed parrot on your shoulder and name him Rupert. And learn Scottish. I can help you with that one, I guess. <laughs> and put Heelys in combat boots. Ooh, that looks I mean... That's something I've always wanted to do anyway. Oh my god, Lance really is old man Henderson coming come to life. Henderson incarnate. Time travel. <laughs> you know? Alrighty. So, Holy while we god. went off to do some very mundane things, Henderson went to the local Air Force base. He told the man at the gate that he was a veteran needing to see a doctor, and then drove off to where the vehicles are kept. Since the GM had no idea how base security was supposed to work, he pretty much just walked up to a cargo chopper going through pre-flight checks and punched out the pilot. After hooking up the Buick, he flew across town to an abandoned warehouse and parked the chopper before going home. There really isn't anything more to the story. Apparently these were the worst MPs in the history of our armed forces. <laughs> We all come back to the bar, and Simon informs the group that the yacht will arrive in two days' time. Henderson and Jimmy rig up a thing that would let them control the various light charges and speakers from a cheap laptop, while Simon reacquainted himself with the controls of a helicopter. The theft 
and dropping of the yacht happen at this point. You can go check the highlight reel for that. Alright. Dropping the yacht. This is from the highlight reel. Old Man Henderson, with his erstwhile companion Jimmy the Jock and his friends William Brocklaw, once humble bartender, the now dead detective player, and Simon Breckenridge, British spy, the professor's player, the professor's player, six characters in. <clears throat> Old Man Henderson discovered that there was not one cult to the Elder Gods, but several. This complicated his search for his gnomes, his crusade for his wee men. He decided to enlist help in making the problem solve itself. Using his contacts, Simon discovered that an influential cultist of Haster was coming to town to try and figure out how an avatar of his god was killed. He was also, uh, sorry, he also located the exact dock on which he would be landing his boat. Jimmy, meanwhile, discovered the home of the head of the local Cthulhu cults. It was a penthouse suite downtown, and a plan was hatched. Jimmy and Will set up a very expensive surround sound speaker system at the docks while Simon made and planted a lot of smoke bombs, and old man Henderson stole a helicopter. That night, the yacht pulled in, and we made our move. <clears throat> right as Simon maneuvered the helicopter over the docks, we set up the smoke bombs and activated the speakers. On one side, a 50-piece marching band playing God Save the Queen at max volume. And on the other, the audio from the beach scene from Saving Private Ryan. Imagine for a moment what being on the dock would have been like. Utter fucking chaos. I jumped down from the helicopter onto the boat and rigged it to lift out of there, during the course of which I ran into a cultist guy and ninja kicked him in the head, knocking him tail over tea cuddle off the boat. I later learned that he broke his neck in the fall. Damn convenient, otherwise he might have been able to ID me. When we then lifted the boat out of there, switched to secondary audio on all sides, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion, I was in a vengeful mood, gnome-stealing bastards. So when the cultists finally got the smoke to clear, their yacht was gone, their leader dead, and Celine Dion was stuck in their heads. Not the best of days. Then we went across town in a sullen military cargo chopper, carrying a 40-foot yacht, and parked the helicopter above the penthouse, with the yacht about 80 feet up. Then we cut the line and jumped out with our parachutes and watched the yacht ruin a dinner party while placing bets on whether the military would save the chopper, blow it up, or it would just hover there until it ran out of fuel and crashed. We never found out. <sighs> so that's dropping the yacht. I must get back to the... Oh, there we go. Oh my god. <laughs> and Boy. now, for the grand finale. <laughs> I totally expected more resistance, Mike says. I planned that shit out like a Shadowrun-style attack, and then nothing happened. I kind of just walked in and jacked the chopper. Hilariously, I had no fly-a-chopper-related skills, even in the backstory. GM just assumed it was there, and I went. <laughs> At this point in the game, having dropped the yacht, we are under no illusions as to what was going to happen next. 
The GM gave up the investigative undertones, and we gave up on disguising our war. I don't know why, but the GM refused to give us a cop-out. He didn't want to just rage quit and go rocks fall, everyone dies. The session ended us with us dropping a yacht, and so we all walked out of there fully expecting open warfare when we returned to the table. A week later, we went for the last time as a group, after months of weekly games. It took Henderson about three weeks to completely destroy any semblance to the plot or a long-term goal. All that mattered at this point was that our deaths were long, glorious, and brutal. Ironically, it was the first time we all arrived at the table with the same expectations and enthusiasm. Mike wanted to see Henderson die, and the GM wanted to kill him. I wanted Simon to draw it out as long as possible, and John wanted to see Will continue to give zero fucks. <laughs> in a way, we all succeed in our respective goals. The game picks up about three days after the dropping of the yacht. The remaining cultists begin to kill each other in open warfare, and the police and federal investigators are all flipping their shit over the blatant wizardry happening. In the midst of it all, we're hitting high-priority targets and wreaking as much havoc as possible. The Buick was sacrificed as a car bomb to wipe out a police station filled with Shoggoths. We managed to briefly steal a tank from the National Guard and drive it right through a bunch of zombies in a shopping mall. Henderson updated his outfit, swapping the Hawaiian shirt for a leather jacket, the back of which is emblazoned with a gnome wearing aviators and throwing up the horns. He also dons a regular pair of gray cargo pants since that would have more pockets. I'm almost proud. Simon put on a tuxedo and refused to take it off, while Will donned a flogging Molly t-shirt and a utilic hilt. Jimmy and Carrie, fortunately, couldn't update, or sadly, couldn't or update their costumes. Their players were pulled out of the game at this point by Jimmy's real parents in the real world, since they insisted on dragging them to some movie. Yes, by this point, Carrie had... The, the character of Carrie had been taken up by Jimmy's IRL girlfriend. We decided that meant Henderson made Jimmy get the hell out of Dodge, commanding him to continue the good fight if it came to that. We went back to the abandoned hockey stadium we were using as a base and loaded him up so he'd get out safe then dropped him near a military evacuation zone where he met his family. We raided an Applebee's to get some food supplies and hit up a hardware store along the way. On the way back, we find out the bad guys have realized we're the cause of all their problems and we're about to launch a coordinated strike against us. They breach the military line between us and them and start to pour after us like a black sea of unthinkable horrors. Along the way, they start to reanimate the dead and dying of both sides, join their charge. We managed somehow to stay half a step ahead all the way back home, occasionally taking a detour through a place like an abandoned shopping mall or the home and garden center at Lowe's. We get back and Henderson lifts up a gnome from the back of the truck. He smiles and sets it back down before turning to us. A gentleman? It's been a pleasure. And with that, he made his way to the hockey rink. Now, let me just detour here to go to the um, the first person perspective of this. Because this, in the highlight reels, is called Hell on Ice. 
On the way there, says Mike, we ran through a small home and garden store in our truck. When we arrived, we started barring the doors when I noticed something. Our trip through the store had netted us a passenger, a single lawn gnome. Somehow I knew right then that this was it. No lucky turn of fate, no deus ex machina. Old man Henderson was going to die. But I'd be damned if it wasn't the best fucking last stand ever. We all knew then that it was the last stand scenario, and we started barricading the doors. We managed to get three of the four entrances almost unbeatable, but the fourth one being broken open when Will and I got to it. Simon told him to go and make sure he took as many with him as he could before walking into the mass to rejoin his wife. Will stole a Zamboni out of storage and set a new high score while running over zombies and throwing ammo and such to Henderson. When he died, they were forced to go over the machine he left to get on the ice, and Henderson was waiting for them. He managed to kill a shitload of them, but then they saw how then he saw how they managed to get rid of Will's impromptu bar barricade. As if on cue, all three of the still locked entrances explode open, and the horde, seemingly without number, comes in. Henderson smiled, called Haster forward into the world, and set the timers. I'll be right back. I have to sneeze. Oh, you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Mike then threw out three pieces of knowledge that marked old man Henderson's blaze of glory. One, calling Hoster's name three times will summon him, but only if the one who uh, but only if the one who is his truest foe at the time calls it. Guess who? Two. When an elder god is summoned from beyond, they suffer a sort of summoning sickness. They're still unbelievably strong, but they can be killed forever if you hit them hard enough. And three, the building had enough explosives wired to make Michael Bay shit his pants. <laughs> Henderson smiled called Haster forward into the world and set the timers. And as Haster stepped forward, he got a rather unusual greeting. O Canada, our home and native land, true patriot love in all thy sons' command, with glowing hearts we see thee rise, the true north, strong and free. The last track on the stereo system. The Canadian national anthem for some godforsaken reason. The king in yellow pauses while Mike apparently hits the limit of the internal clock he's been ticking off in his head. All right. We win, says Mike. What? The charges go off. I set them for 15 seconds. I needed to make sure he had enough time to arrive, but not enough time to actually arrive. What? He broke it down and explained those three little pieces of information gleaned from the investigated portions of the game. Meticulous notes for months. Together, they painted a very obscure bit of information regarding the nature of gods in this settings. But, but that's... You bastard! The GM accused dramatically, standing up and pointing. 
You only just now noticed, Mike returned, politely baffled. The GM then performed the first and only literal table flip I've ever seen in my years of GMing before leaving in a huff. <laughs> After a few moments of awkward silence, I realized that for all the bullshit, it wasn't really a satisfying ending. I'm not sure what drove me to do it, but I stood up, picked up the table, and moved to the now vacant Game Master's seat. Henderson came to a few moments later, most of his body crushed in the rubble. A few feet away, he notices another figure. So he wheezes, while reaching into his coat with one good arm, pulling out a joint he stashed away for future use. I'm dying, the form replies, his voice weak. I must commend you, human. I did not think you capable of such a task. Yeah, you seem the type to know a lot. Something I learned early in life is that no one expects a sucker punch from someone they underestimate. He lights his slip with a smile. True, the form responds. You know, I've been following you. You do know that I never took your gnomes. Fuck, really? Huh. Now I feel like I might have overreacted a bit. He then passes the blunt to Hoster, who after only a moment's hesitation, accepts. <laughs> you apparently gave them up for a charity auction. You know, I've figured out everything, but one little detail. Mind if I ask you a question? Shoot. Is Henderson your first or last name? Mate, I've got no fucking idea. <laughs> Laughing, the man and the mad god died together moments later. Henderson's body was dragged from the rubble two days afterwards, and only Jimmy and Carrie and some old preacher man cared enough to attend his funeral. Will was buried nearby since they were apparently friends in life and he didn't have much left in the world after his bar burnt down. Simon was quietly retrieved by his son and put to rest near his wife's grave a few weeks later. Jimmy and Carrie managed to get into a nice college together since the insurance from Henderson's life and homeowner's insurance policies, as well as all the money coming in from liquidating Will's assets, gave them a nice head start on life. The story didn't quite end there, but I'll let that shit slide for now. Huh. Since I know you guys only care about one epilogue. Henderson opened his eyes, fighting off a migraine God only knows how long later. He forces himself to his feet and squints around at the blank desert horizon. He looks at the mesas in the distance and endless sand in every direction. Well, I'm either in hell or Utah. He lets out a deep sigh, realizing he's out of cigarettes and blunts. Ugh, Utah, no, my luck. He notices a town in the distance, and has no better, uh, and having no better idea on what to do next, begins to wander in its direction. Man, that better not be a fucking mirage. And that's it, the official, final end, of the old man Henderson story. Good fucking lord. <laughs>
I didn't know what to say, but I think Lance said the only thing that could be said. <laughs> no, there is no good lord left. There is only Henderson. You know, I was not sure what was going to happen when you asked if we could jump on this call today. Yeah. It was not that. <laughs> Nobody expects old man Henderson. Are you happy? But I think I have a new role model in life. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> oh, man. How do you feel, Spy, having completed this bucket list item of yours? A little lightheaded, honestly. I've been talking for two hours straight. Yeah. Oh, man. So that was the story of Old Man Henderson. The deed is we, done. We hope you've enjoyed this special episode of 3DMs. The Legend of Old Man Henderson. Good God. <laughs> and we look forward to seeing you in our episode 10 Tavern Brawls, which should be, well, soon you enough. Give, you've given me a lot of food for thought when it comes to making characters for this event. Oh, yes. I expect nothing but the high hells. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> Good God. Hell hath no fury. Like a schizophrenic Scottish man whose lawn gnomes have been stolen. The fact that Haster had to tell him that the lawn gnomes wasn't his fault. Oh, that's the icing on the cake. Tying it all together in the end. Oh. Emotional. Powerful. Wow. 12 out of 10. Life-changing. <laughs> I, I definitely feel something. I feel some sort of call to action. I just don't quite know. It might be indigestion. It could be, actually. Hmm. Alright. Oh. That does it. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you soon. Stay moist. Stay moist.